Hey, we... Let me start with last week. Last week, we looked at how to become a Christian. Now, we're using the word Christian in the way we use it in our culture today, both our Christian culture as well as in the culture at large. And that is, we tend to equate becoming a Christian with undergoing some kind of religious or spiritual transformation, resulting in the hope of going to heaven and living with Jesus and with God and with other Christians who have undergone the same spiritual transformation someday. The Bible would call such a spiritual transformation, more accurately, being born again or receiving eternal life. And that idea of being born again or receiving eternal life leads to the question or answers the question, how, how is a person born again? How do they have eternal life? How do we receive that life? And last week we listened to Jesus, who answered such a question so simply that so many people tend to, to stumble over his answer because of its simplicity. I'd like to listen, have you listen again to his words because they're important to understand there's a contrast between last Sunday's message and this Sunday's message. Last Sunday, Jesus says the way to receive eternal life, the way to have this spiritual transformation take place in your life, the way to receive, uh, to become born again, he says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Period. In John 11, verse 25 to 27, Jesus was speaking to Martha, a woman who had lost a brother. They were standing basically in front of a tomb of her dead brother. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who, and who, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked her this question, Martha, do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the promised Messiah and Savior, the Son of God who is able to, to make good on such a promise, the one who has come into the world to fulfill these things. Becoming a Christian couldn't be simpler for us. It cost us nothing. It is a matter of simple faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. End of story. A simple conviction that He is able to do what He promised in giving us eternal life. How often I've heard people say, it's just too easy. There's more to it than that. Well, it wasn't easy for Jesus, let me tell you that to provide our salvation. But usually when people say, it's too easy, there's more to it than that. What they're really beginning to do is to lead into some more, to this morning's message. And what happens is, we're bringing what I'm going to share with you today, with what I shared with you last Sunday, most people lump it all together in one basket. And unfortunately, that is not what Jesus taught us to do. What I'm going to be talking about today is quite different than what we talked about last week. Becoming a Christian, possessing eternal life, God's life, is one thing. 
Becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ is something else altogether. And this is where a lot of people get confused and confounded in their understanding of these two very different life experiences. Before we proceed any further, I'd like for us to consider, before we consider the two questions we want to look at this morning about discipleship, first of all, we need to consider just what we mean by the word disciple. This is a word that we throw around a lot in our Christian world. It's not a word that we use a lot in our secular world. But it was nevertheless in Jesus' day a word that was used a lot in the secular world. To be a disciple in the day of Jesus, to be a disciple of someone, meant in that culture of Jesus' day to put yourself under the teaching and instruction of a master teacher. To be a disciple of Jesus meant putting yourself under the teaching and instruction of of our master teacher Jesus with a view to becoming like him. Jesus clearly supported this common understanding of what it meant to be a disciple in his day. I want you to notice what he says in two passages of scripture, Matthew 10 and Luke 6. He says a disciple is not above his teacher. He's underneath his teacher. But a nor a servant above his master. A servant is underneath his master. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained, referring to a disciple, will be like his teacher. If the process goes as it's supposed to, he will end up like his teacher. So with mine, let's consider the two questions we have for this morning. First, how to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. But really first, before we can answer that question, is why become a disciple of Jesus Christ? Why would you or I want to be a disciple of Jesus? The world has its Nobel Prize winners, and many people clamor to sit under them and learn what made them such great men. Other religions have their great religious leaders, which are followed by many faithful devotees of the religion. Why follow Jesus? He was crucified as a common criminal of his day. He's always been pitied and hated by the world. He's regarded as a religious founder, but who never played the religious game. He never graduated from a religious school. He never sat under another great religious teacher. He never even wrote a book while he was on this earth. Why would we want to follow him? Sit under him. Be his disciple. That's an important question. And I think it's a question many people have not considered before. Before we look to Jesus himself and what he says about in response to this question, I would like to stimulate or sort of jumpstart our thinking today about the subject. And I've asked a, a friend of mine, John Cole, whom most of you know well, to tell us why he recently has made a very conscious choice 
to become a serious follower and disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've known John for a number of years. In fact, way back into the 90s, he had been coming to our church for a time. And I always liked John. He's just the kind of guy you could really connect with, and, and I enjoyed his friendship. But I could tell in those days that he wasn't really too, too much into getting too serious about the Christian faith. He's come back to our church in the last year or so, and it seems that there's something that has ignited a fire in his life in which he wants to follow Jesus Christ as a disciple. And I've asked him today to take a moment and share with you what it is that has made him want to do that. John, wherever you are, there you are over there. This question really got me thinking. Well, probably the greatest and most obvious reason is that God first loved me. As I attended various Bible studies, Sunday services, and other fellowship-oriented activities, I found I was learning and I was growing. The more I understood his incredible and immeasurable love for me, the more I loved him. I felt like every day that I attended some service or was with my fellow Christians, uh, that some new higher level of understanding was coming to me. It almost felt like God was pushing me towards where he wanted me to be. I also had learned about rewards. That sounded pretty good. Uh, you know, it's like thinking in my head, if I do something wrong, I'm going to feel guilty, ashamed. Ugh. Okay, if I do something right, I'm going to feel good. I'm going to get a reward. I like that. In the beginning, I thought, that's kind of selfish. But it was comforting to later learn that I should give in or submit to my Lord's will. And that if he wants me to have this reward, I should be seeking it. You could also say that my choice to follow him was my way of saying thank you to him for all that he's done for me. I also, uh, it gives me a sense of significance. Um, What I do does make a difference in the world today and in eternity. We all want to be important, you know, whether it's in school or in work. One factor that influenced me personally that was somewhat unique in my life was that I was in love with a wonderful woman who was going down the wrong path spiritually. And I, I saw it. I wanted to help her. Let's find the right path. Well, it was like I had the plank in my eye She had the splinter in hers. How or why would she listen to me or believe me if I wasn't leading the life that I should have been? So I had to do my part. I had to walk the walk. And I did that. And as you can see, no girlfriend. But that's okay. That's the Lord's will. It'll happen. Discipleship for me is a daily decision. Each morning I wake up and I recommit all over again. I pray every day for the strength that the Lord will or that the Lord will give me the strength so that I can continue to walk down that straight path. And I hope all of you are praying for me too. Thank you. Well stated, John. Thank you. When we become a Christian, When we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, 
and we realize we have received a wonderful gift called eternal life. Things are happening in our life, and I think there is a, an initial desire to want to please our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that takes us to the discipleship, to what it means to be a disciple and why we need to be a disciple. People who are believers are the ones that we're talking to right now. Why is it as a believer would we want to press on and become a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ? I've got several reasons I'd like to share with you this morning and things that I think you ought to take to heart and consider as we work it through this together. First, because this is what he purpose, purposes for all people, is that they not only believe in him, but that they become his disciples. Many of us have missed this. It's like for so much of Christianity today, it's we want to get people to a point where they believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, and we stop. The New Testament never stops there. It moves on. The Great Commission says, Going into the world, therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the earth. Does that sound like we are going to stop simply when somebody says in their heart, I believe in Jesus. I see the truth now. I believe it. I have eternal life. That's the end of the game. That's the beginning. God's purpose is for all people to become disciples. Christian and non-Christian. Obviously, a non-Christian first has to hear the truth about Jesus and respond to the gospel before they're going to be in a position having the gift of eternal life the new life God has created within them to be a disciple but nevertheless the goal is for all people to be disciples this is how the infinite, loving, eternal present, all powerful son of God is moving in our world and if we want to keep in step with his eternal purpose being a disciple and making disciples is what it's all about. To serve any other purpose above this purpose. To devote ourselves to any other thing above this thing means that our life will amount to nothing. All the fame and the fortune and the happiness that the world can lay upon us will amount to nothing unless we make whatever opportunities God sends our way into opportunities to serve our Lord's eternal purpose, which is that all people might become disciples. The second reason we ought to become disciples, that why we would want to become disciples, is because only disciples come to enjoy an intensely close, intimate personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you're saying, wait a minute, I thought when I became a Christian, I became one of God's children. That's true. The moment we put our faith in Christ, we receive God's life. We become one of His children. And all God's children have access to His presence through prayer, and we can talk to God, and we can have a relationship with God. But a close 
personal, intimate relationship is primarily the experience of those who are his disciples. Listen to these words. And this passage has been greatly misunderstood, but listen to it. And I've preached on it before, so I don't want to go into it in too much depth here. Now when he was, it's John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Interesting. What's the saying? Now many people say, oh, here's a good passage to show that, that some kinds of faith are woefully inadequate. That some kinds of faith just don't save us. That's interesting. It doesn't say that their faith didn't save them. In fact, it used the phrase that many believed in His name. The only other times that He used the phrase believe in His name was in John 1.12 which is clearly an evangelistic message or a passage where it says, to as many as received him, to them gave the power, he the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And the only other place that you find this verse or this phrase is in John 3, 16 to 18, which everyone knows is clearly talking about born-again people, people who have been transformed. Well, then they'll say, well, yeah, but these people only believe because of the signs. Oh, well, now I go over to the end of the book of John and I read that the reason John wrote the book, he wrote about all these signs. He says, many other signs Jesus did, but I've included these signs in order that you might believe and that in believing you might have life in his name. I see. These people believe for the very reason John said they should believe. Well, how do you then articulate those last verses there? But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and he had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. If you go on and study the next, the next portion of Scripture on the story of Nicodemus, you'll see. These people didn't have the courage of their convictions. They weren't ready to be disciples. They weren't ready to come out of the closet and announce their faith in Christ. They weren't ready to become switch allegiance, so to speak, and follow Him only. And therefore, Jesus wasn't going to get close to them at this time. He wasn't going to commit Himself to them because they weren't ready to commit themselves to Him on a personal, intimate level. In John 14, chapter 15, verses 14 and 15, Jesus told his disciples, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You are doing what I've asked. You are my disciples. And because you are my disciples and you're responding to what I'm teaching to you, told you much, much more. You've become like intimate friends. People that I'm close to on the most intimate level. Friends, becoming a Christian will ensure our presence in God's home for all eternity. Becoming and remaining a disciple will bring us into the closest personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ now and forever. That's one of the benefits 
of being a disciple. Third, because Jesus has the words of eternal life. That's why to be his disciple. Because Jesus has the words of eternal life. This is brought out in John chapter 6. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Yes, disciples give up. Then Jesus said to the twelve, the, the twelve immediate disciples that he had spent so much time with, Do you also want to go away and give up as disciples? He wasn't saying they weren't going to have eternal life anymore. That's a gift. He never takes it away. But do you want to give up on your discipleship? But Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You have the words of eternal life. Now, Peter already had received eternal life. But what Peter was learning are things about how that life can unfold for him. He had received the gift, but what exactly is the gift? It is life that is eternal, that's for sure. It's life that will be forever with God in heaven, that's for sure. But it's much more. It's a life that is to be fully experienced. A life full of potential, eternal potential. A life that, has, that was meant to be abundantly enjoyed. And the only way that we can abundantly enjoy it, the only way we can fully experience it, is to listen to the words of Jesus who will tell us how as disciples we can come to enjoy that abundant life. He told his disciples, the thief does not come to except to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come as a good shepherd that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The disciples share in the abundant life because they are responding to the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. Disciples are taught the words of Jesus which explain how to take hold of all eternal life has to offer and experience fully its potential now and forever. One thing I've noticed about the computer, and I have sort of a love-hate relationship with the computer. I know many of you feel the same way. I turn this thing on and I'm constantly frustrated because I, I have to rely upon other people to come teach me new things. Because it's like it can sit there on your desk and you can never use it. And you can say, I have a, such and such a computer and it's, it's here and it's available, but if you don't begin to learn how to use it, the world that it opens up is closed to you. And it's like that. We can have eternal life in our life. We can be born again, but unless somebody, a la Jesus Christ, our Savior, explains to us how we can unwrap this gift and use it in our life so that we can fully experience all God wants for us, we then will we really be able to enjoy that life that was given to us in the fullest sense of the beginning today. And that's a reason to become a disciple. Fourth reason to become a disciple. It's because Jesus calls his disciples to work that is eternally significant. 
One of the biggest problems that is being faced today in the workplace is the fact that younger labor, labor pool workers want meaningful work. They don't want to just do something that's repetitious and meaningless. Now, some employers have addressed the problem by involving laborers, workers in managerial type decisions and opportunities. Others have the idea that you can just toss money at it and if you give them bigger pay, paychecks, they'll be happy. And they'll keep working, which is true up to a point. But money can never make work meaningful. People, no matter how much you pay them, will lose heart if the work isn't somewhat significant. Jesus provides His disciples with meaningful work to do in life. And with an opportunity to contribute to something that is eternally significant. Even if we are enmeshed in some kind of meaningless labor on this earth as our vocation, we can still be a part of something that's huge and eternally significant if we are disciples of Jesus Christ. In John 4.18, we read about how Jesus called His disciples and He said to them, they were fishermen, He says, Come and follow Me and I will make you fishers of men. One of them was Peter. Three years later, Jesus says to Peter, a disciple who had been maturing all along those three years, He said to him, Peter, in effect, you've been catching men. Now I would like for you to feed the men you've been catching. I want you to teach them the things that I have taught you that will forever change their lives. Likewise, He wants all of us who are His disciples to get involved in this eternally significant work. And that's why Matthew 28, He says, if you are a disciple, go into the world and make more disciples, teaching them all that I have commanded you. That's significant work. Because that's in step with eternity. Fifth reason we ought to become a disciple is because Jesus promises His disciples abundant blessings in this age as well as in the age to come. One of my favorite passages of Scripture I've shared with you with you on numbers of times is more of a personal testimony. Having left my home and family back in Ohio and, and going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in Appalachia and then in Montana and now here in Southern California. I read this verse and I just, I start to well up with tears because I realize that Jesus has kept His promise. We read Mark 10, verses 29 to 31. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, Peter had just come off the discussion with uh, Jesus and the rich young ruler, and he heard Jesus invite the rich young ruler to follow him, and he would have treasure in heaven. And, of course, he turned him down, but Peter says, Well, we followed you. What do we get out of it? We're your disciples. So Jesus answered and said to Peter and to the disciples that were there, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left his house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the Gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. It won't be all gravy. 
and in the age to come, inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. I, I look at my life and I see that my closest friends, many of them are in this church. And in other ministries we've been a part of. I look at what God has done and the riches that He's poured out upon us in this world, not in terms of money, but just in terms of experiences and opportunities and the, the joys. He's kept His promise. We've received a hundredfold over whatever we gave up. And with it, we will inherit eternal life if we remain faithful as disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Do you want to be in step with my eternal purpose? Do you want to have a close relationship with me and my Father in heaven? Do you want to know how to get the most out of the eternal life that I've given you? Do you want to do something significant with your life that is eternal? Do you want to be, do you want to experience abundant blessing in this age and in the age to come? Then I invite you to become my disciple. Become my disciple. Now the question then is, how do we become his disciple? Fundamentally, becoming a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ means one thing. It means changing our allegiance. Changing our allegiance. It's a matter of forsaking old loyalties and, become whole, and becoming wholly devoted to our Lord Jesus Christ. The issue when it comes to discipleship is to whom are we loyal? To what are we devoted? If we're going to become a disciple of Jesus, then he must be the one to whom we are loyal the one to whom we are wholly devoted. Becoming a disciple begins with a visible demonstration of our allegiance to our Lord Jesus Christ. And that visible demonstration, the Bible has made clear, is to be one thing. Water baptism. It's not wrong to, to come forward and make public your faith in a, in a crusade or a church or wherever. It's not wrong to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for the moment after the moment you have put your faith in Christ. I'm not saying that. But it is clear that one thing that the New Testament makes very clear, and that is if a visible demonstration that God is looking for of our change in allegiance is a water baptism. Go, the, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How do you do that? baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. In obedience to the commandment of our Lord Jesus Christ, and into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, who continue working in and through our lives, water baptism illustrates and highlights for us, and for all who would observe, the cleansing that we have experienced from our old life through faith in Christ, the new life that has opened up for us 
because we've been given the gift of eternal life and a new identity that we have for ourselves the moment we embrace our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what water baptism says. It says we're now God's children through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are now loyal to Him above all others. We are now devoted to Him above all things. This is the message of water baptism. It drives this message home to our heart if we're being baptized. And it also drives the message home to all of our hearts as we witness once again someone who is beginning their walk as a disciple. It's like an initiation into the walk of a disciple. Does water baptism bring you eternal life? No. Will water baptism get you to heaven? No. has nothing to do with that. That's faith in Jesus alone that gets you that. But if we want to begin to follow Jesus, Jesus says, what I'm commanding you to begin with is that you are baptized in water. Send the world a message. I'm cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I am raised to walk in the newness of life as I come out of this water and I am embracing Jesus as my sole identity. That's what that water baptism says. It will not save you in the sense of taking you to heaven. But it will bring, begin to bring forth within your life that holy, devoted person of a disciple who wants to follow Jesus. It's why in many cultures... You can become, you can believe in Jesus. Okay, just don't talk about it. But if you are baptized, you are alienated and ostracized from the culture. That's true if you're Jewish, if you're in a Jewish culture, if you're in a Muslim culture, or if you're in a Hindu culture. And I'm sure it's true of many other cultures, lesser cultures around the world. Because in water baptism, you're saying, making a very clear statement to all, and that is that your allegiance has changed. Your allegiance now is to Jesus Christ. It's not to Moses, it's not to Mohammed, or even to your mother and father and your, your caste. In my own life, I kept off, when I first became a Christian, I put my faith in Christ. I believed, I read the scripture, and I was... It was, but it was all a private thing. I hid my Bible under my bed and I had my own little thing going on. And it was just me and God and we had it all worked out. And then all of a sudden I was coming face to face with this fact that I would have to be baptized if I was going to go further in my Christian life. And I said, I don't want to do that because that's embarrassing. You know, other people are going to see that I'm now a Christian. Or they're going to see that I, you know, that I put this off or that I haven't been as obedient as I should or, or something. They're just going to see something. And finally I had to get beyond that and I said, Lord, I'm ready to follow you. And my initiation was being baptized. And I went forward and I was baptized. And began my walk as a disciple. I was saved before that. I was on my way to heaven before that. Because I believed in Jesus. But it was at that moment that I began to walk as a disciple. Friends, I would like to challenge you. In two weeks, we're going to have a baptismal service here in this church. And I'd like to encourage you. If you've never been baptized, or if you've been baptized not as a believer, but 
as an infant or in some other way that you never recognized exactly what was happening in the fullest sense. I invite you to be baptized and to make it clear to all that you are a follower of Christ and that you want to be his disciple in the fullest and complete sense of that word. He will be pleased if you take that step if you've never taken it before. For most Christians living in the first century, as well as in our day, water baptism was and continues to be the beginning of a whole new kind of life. In the New Testament, they really didn't know or talk about people who had become Christians but weren't baptized. I mean, they went together. A person became born again because they believed, but then they began to walk as a disciple by being baptized. And they sort of went hand in hand. And that's why in the New Testament, when you read about Christians, it talks about disciples being Christians. It doesn't talk... We use the word Christian referring to somebody that's believed in Christ and is on their way to heaven, but in reality, we're not using the term like the Bible uses it. The Bible speaks of Christians being disciples because they were visible. They were the visible people that aligned themselves. Their allegiance was to Jesus Christ. And when you looked in society and said, there's Christians... They were baptized. There may have been some Christians over here that you didn't know anything about because they never came out of the closet, so to speak, through baptism. That's the difference. Our water baptism, as important as it is, however, to help us move forward and become a disciple, it cannot really make us disciples indeed. Like an initiation of the life of a disciple, water baptism can put us on the right road of discipleship, but becoming a true disciple involves more than just being immersed in water. Becoming a disciple continues with our becoming students of the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we become committed leaders, pardon me, learners, pupils, students of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, then we will be in a position to observe all He wants from us as His loyal and devoted followers. And so the critical point here is that yes, we are baptized into the walk of a disciple, but actually becoming a a full-on disciple requires diligence in hearing and learning and being a student of the words of Jesus Christ. Notice the scripture again. It says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. If there is no teaching, the process shuts down. And if there are no learners... If a person isn't receptive, isn't a student of the words of Jesus, the process shuts shuts down. In other words, if we're going to continue that walk of the disciple, we have to be totally devoted to hearing the words of Jesus Christ. Now friends, to become a Christian is, is simple. And it's absolutely free. It costs nothing. To believe in Jesus and have eternal life, it costs you nothing. But to become a disciple will cost much. As Paul wrote, it's very costly. It requires great effort, much devotion, intense loyalty, personal sacrifice, persistence, and perseverance. Jesus highlighted this often in his teaching about discipleship. And listen to what he says. 
Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Another place he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother and father, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, our loyalties supersede even these most loyal relationships. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Denying, hating, bearing, cross, taking up the cross, forsaking all. These are all very negative things, but they're designed to drive home the, the, the seriousness and the weightiness and the costliness of being a disciple. In contrast to being becoming a Christian, which is free. But in the end... What is driving home to our hearts is that to become a true disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ, we must remain or abide in His Word. Jesus made this very clear. In John 8, 31, He says this, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him, now here were Jews who had not come out of the closet yet, but they had believed. They had eternal life. If they died, they'd wake up in heaven. But, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, that is, if you remain in my word, devoted to my word, and obey my word, respond to my word, you are my disciples indeed. That's the key. As we bring this to a conclusion, I want to ask you a question. And I think it's a question you would probably ask me. Arch, if, if we're baptized, and if we remain in his word, and we become disciples, what will our life look like? What, will we be, what would we be like if we were full-fledged, committed, sold-out disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, here's some scriptures to help answer that question. Disciples are first, the first to come and hear when Jesus' words are being taught. They're the first in line. Listen to these words. And seeing the multitudes, this is the famous Sermon on the Mount. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain so he could be heard. And when he was seated, his disciples evidently had trailed right behind him on his heels. When he was seated, his disciples came to him. The crowd was there, but they were on the front row. The one thing about a disciple is they're front row Christians in the serious sense of that word. Disciples, secondly, ask questions. They want to know the meaning of what it says when Jesus makes a statement. They want to, what did you mean by that, Lord? I don't understand that. I want to know more. They don't just read their Bible for a shot in the arm for the day and try to look for something that might make sense to them that they could use for their life. No, they see things there and they say, I don't understand this, Lord, and I want to know what it means. Help me to understand it. Notice these passages here, Matthew 13, 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him. They weren't going to let this thing lie, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares in the field of the field. Jesus had been speaking to the multitudes in parables. You say, oh, he's trying to make things clear and get the cookies down on the lower shelf so the common people can understand it. No, he spoke to them, he says, in parables so they wouldn't understand it. So they would say to themselves, what in the world is he talking about? And those that didn't give a rip would walk away unfulfilled. But those who did, like his disciples and others that were thinking of becoming disciples, they would go to him and say, Lord, what did you mean by that? And they had a hunger. And because they had a hunger, Jesus says, I'm here to fill that. 
And so they came to him and said, Lord, what do you mean by this? Parable of the tares. And Jesus went on to explain it to him. In Matthew 24, 3, they'd heard Jesus talking a lot about the end times and so forth. And they came to him, it says privately, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when all these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. We've got questions here. And we want some answers. One of the marks of a disciple is they have questions and they look for answers. Next is disciples that have questions usually find answers. Mark chapter 4 we read, But without a parable he did not speak to them, that is the multitudes. And when they were alone, his disciples explained all things to his disciples. They had questions, he had answers, and he explained it. He didn't leave them hanging. Friends, if you get into the Word of God and you have, you have questions, you're willing to put your, your questions on the line with God and say, Lord, I want to know what this means. I guarantee you, based on the Word of God, that God is going to somehow work in your heart and in the heart of those around you to help you find answers to those questions. I'm one of those kind of people that I never seem to be satisfied. I always want to know why he said this, why he said that. God has honored that and he always seems to give me an answer. It may not come right away, but it will come in time. Next, disciples love one another. This is the great mark of a disciple. For this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Disciples bear much fruit. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. The fruit that he's speaking of here is the fruit that springs from obeying his commandments. Disciples are full of good works and charitable deeds. One of the things we find in the book of Acts is examples. Acts chapter 9. We read, At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. The woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. And she was called a disciple. In Acts chapter 11, we read, that Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. One of the marks of a disciple was that they were full of good works and charitable deeds. Another mark of a disciple was they... Disciples enter into the work of making disciples. This is the final thing. If you want to know what a disciple is, it's a disciple that's making other disciples. Go therefore, Jesus said to his disciples, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Friends, if you're a mother and you have children, you have disciples. The opportunity to make disciples. If you work as a, in a particular location or situation, and you're with other people, you have an opportunity to make disciples, to impact lives for Jesus Christ. It's not just a matter of getting them to... I remember when our children prayed and or believed in Jesus Christ and we tried to sort of mark that with their, with their prayer and baptism and so forth and they put their faith in Christ. That was an exciting moment as a parent but I realized that was just the beginning of what we wanted to do, what God wanted us to do in making disciples of our children. 
And to this day we continue to work at that. I go back to the story and close with the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the story of the woman at the well in Samaria that we looked at last week, after, after she left and took her water pot and went into town, began to tell all the men and the, and the women in the city about what had happened to her, particularly the men who were the leaders. Immediately they were interested, and Jesus at the same time was ready to go into the city, and his disciples came and said, Lord, we, we, you need to eat here. We've gotten some food. They weren't even there during the conversation he had with the woman at the well. And Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. And then he went on and he challenged them. He says, you have not labored for what we're about to experience, but you have the opportunity to invest in those labors, to give of your life, to do your part, to take this city and make disciples for Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you will be, as he says, laying up rewards for eternal life. A full and satisfying experience of eternal life. Friends, don't let making becoming a disciple or making disciples pass us by. This is the crux of why God put us here on this earth. Our gracious God and Father, help us.